You're listening to The Crunch with Cam Slater. Right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Casey Costello has been on The Crunch before, and it was a very popular interview with heaps of replays. She's the real deal and now has a chance to power up New Zealand First by bringing in another MP if she can win the Port Waikato by-election. To discuss her campaign and more, she's on the line and with me now. Welcome back to The Crunch, Casey. Good to have you. Thanks very much, Cam. Appreciate you having me on. Well, you've had a bit of a false start, haven't you? You've got right into the campaign, you know, you're launching and everything going forward, and then we had the unfortunate demise of the ACT Party candidate, uh, truly sad, and then the vagaries of the Electoral Act kick in, and so we have a by-election coming up uh, near the end of this month. Yeah, I I said it was like sort of you run a marathon and then you get to the finish line and someone says, oh, we've just added 10Ks onto it, so, yeah. Are you up for that extra 10Ks? Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's really, it's actually probably easier because you can now, you're now campaigning purely on who you are and your suitability as a person to represent the electorate. You you sort of, um, you're not so much having to, Double up with the party policies and the party position. It's just it's it's very clean and it's just about who you want to see represent the community. So, reality is uh, with this by-election is it's a two-horse race in reality between yourself and Andrew Bailey uh, as people, rather than you know pushing for the party vote and all of that. But you're already in because you're number three on the New Zealand First list. If you win the seat, there's a benefit, isn't there, to New Zealand First that is of greater importance than any pitch that Andrew Bailey can make, and that yeah. is that the number nine on your list is is a great candidate with incredible skills who would then come yep. in because you'd go off the list, and then, of course, he'd come in on the list, which means yeah. that, Dr. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so that's um, Dr. David Wilson, great guy, great mind, just would be outstanding for us and for the country, I think, to get him on board. And and that's and it's really hard to kind of pitch that message because, I mean, already MMP is difficult enough to understand. Yeah. And then adding this to the mix is really hard. But, yeah, fr- from our point of view and, you know, it's like that, no pressure, Casey, but you know, <laughs> we need, we need yeah, you to win this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, um, but I mean, that, that is the bonus, isn't it? Because th- there is no bonus for Andrew Bailey to be elected as the MP. Everyone assumes he's going to win this. And if he doesn't win it, there's no real change to the National Party. And there's no, no significant name that would add to the benefit of Parliament and the country as a general. But New Zealand First has got David there that can come in as well. And also would provide that extra, in my view, it would provide a little bit of extra backbone for New Zealand First to stiffen up the government. Yeah, and and that's the skill set that he brings is is incredible. And and I think the other thing is that people have got to realise that they don't lose Andrew Bailey. You know, he's 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 there, highly likely to get a ministerial position. It's that's that sort of, you know, they get Two representatives, yeah. Um, both, you know, Andrew with his experience and and me with, you know, this is my town. This is a huge opportunity for me to be able to be a voice for our region, um, and you know, to and that's what I've kind of kept going on about is that you know this is about 
to me, this is my home and this is why I want to stand for it. You know, it's not just a political position. It's, you know, I'm already an MP. This is because I really, really want to be the representative of Port Waikato. And um, yeah, yeah, so that, that's why I'm, I'm fighting for it. And the big bonus for us, as you said, is that we get another, not only another candidate, but a great candidate, you know, someone yeah. who would just be outstanding. So, yeah, so I fight on. I sleep less and I fight on. <laughs> sleep less, fight on. Uh, I guess there's a bonus too in that your other MPs who have just been elected with you because of New Zealand's first success at the at the election uh, can now come and help as well in the yeah. electorate and boost your candidacy around the electorate. Of course, National can do exactly the same. They can roll out you know, essentially what are going to be cabinet ministers to infest the electorate and, you know, push the the, the vote uh, for the national candidate. It's a real two-horse race. I mean, I, don't, I can't see anybody else getting it. Labour hasn't even bothered, uh, Act didn't replace their candidate, and everybody else doesn't matter. So this is a real two-horse race where there's some real benefits for people to back Casey Costello, aren't there? Well, I, I think so. <laughs> I think there's some real benefits. Yeah. I, I think the, the 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 part that I kind of is that I've proven that I'm not, you know, that I'll stand for the for the issues that everybody's a bit afraid to speak up on. Um, I, you know, I come from a police background. I police this area. This is where I did most of my police service. Um, I know the issues that are impacting us from a crime perspective, the justice system and how it's become so difficult to get anything dealt with or or even taken, um, given priority through, because there's just such a backlog on on the court system. Mm. I can, you know, I can see what can be done. And I, and, and the other problem we've got is that we kind of like, we're, we're this, we sort of got split in half through the super city mm. and we, we kind of sit at the tail end of the Auckland um, council mega machine and the top end of the Waikato regional and so having something that'll bring us together because um, we're an oddly shaped electorate as well it's, in terms of where our boundaries really, are. I mean it's really strange half is in the Waikato and half's in in Auckland. Yeah uh, and and that's why it's really because you know from everything you know Auckland transport in terms of how our roading's divided up and where the expenditure is and um, all of those sort of things need somebody who's prepared to kind of knock on doors and, and bring people together to get some solutions. And I think that's what I, I bring to the table is that I I will have that availability and, you know, I'm accessible. I, you know, I'm quite happy for everyone to know know where I live, what my phone number is, you know, just, you know, give me a shout sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, the, the map is of the electorate is, is weird, you know. Mm. You've got huge amounts of uh, population around Pukekohe uh, and, you know, bordering on, you know, Karaka is extending south across the border there. There's large pockets of urban uh, centres there. South of the Waikato River is kind of desolate, <laughs> with, with all due respect. I mean, there's not a lot down that coast, uh, Port Waikato, down to Tiakau. Uh, not many people in there, so it's largely an Auckland-centric thing. But like you say, Auckland has kind of abandoned that area. Yeah. And the storms in February last year, uh, earlier this year, have left roads devastated. They haven't even been repaired. Like the main road out to Afitu is still cut. 
Yeah. You know, still, and, still got the stop go lights. <laughs> yeah, stop go lights one way. It, it's like it's forgotten, like because you know, never mind. Uh, it doesn't matter. There's only a few people who live there. You've got a yeah. case that you could push on that against the the incumbent, which is Andrew Bailey, because what's he done since February? You know, yeah. to 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 push those things, and and no one can criticize you for that. You weren't the MP. He was the MP. So this is an old fashioned stump style uh election yep. campaign where yeah, it's, you it's can actually knock hold on them the doors. to account. Yeah, knock on yeah. the doors and hold them to account. What's Andrew Bailey done? And yeah. and you can make you know, without I mean, you're not the kind of person to make grandiose uh promises. You like to deliver on things. But you know, this is the thing that people seem to be missing. And I and I see that in the electorate uh, in the media, the way they're portraying this is this is almost a foregone conclusion the National Party's going to win this. But by-elections do deliver up sometimes very strange yeah. results. And and this is the thing, I think, where MMPs kind of muddied the waters around the, that idea of that, you know, the local electorate MP being accountable, having the office you walk into, and that person being there, you know, that person having to take your call and front up um, and and be answerable to what's being delivered. You know, soil erosion is a massive and coastal erosion, like mm-hmm. the catchment areas, the all of these sort of things that affect, um, you know, I mean, if you look at the, the area, we're kind of like a microcosm of New Zealand. We've got well, the steel mill, which is a massive, massive industry for, for the area. Yeah. We're the, we're the, you know, the food basket of, you know, New Zealand, really, like we've we've got all of this all the productive gardens, land, you know. all the market gardens, all of the greenhouses, all of those sort of, and then we've got dairy and beef and all of that sort of stuff producing. And so probably if we can the get, largest swamp in New Zealand as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and if we can get this moving, like if we can prove that you know you can get some good outcomes and put some solutions in place um, in this area, then it's a model that can go out to to everywhere else. And, and it's wrenching that, which I think has happened a lot throughout the country, is this centralised control that was pushed through from this um, the Labor government that was, you know, everything was being done from Wellington. Um, we're not a one-size-fit-all country. Like every region, every has particularly in agriculture and horticulture and farming, we, we have our own issues and own de- ways to deal with them. Mm. Um, you know, flood protection and catchment areas is totally different here than, you know, we don't snow, so we don't have to worry about the stuff that they're worrying about in the South Island. You know, th- this is this is why yeah. it's important to have strong local representation. And I don't claim to be an expert on these things, but I know great people have great networks, good people to, you know, with expert knowledge that you know, that's how we used to solve things. You know, that was how we always used to, you got the right people from the place with 40 years experience living on this land to tell you, you know, what'll work and what won't work. I mean, it is um, an amazing electorate. Do. I mean, is it is an amazing electorate. You know, you've got, yeah. you know, the West Coast, the, all the desolation of, of that. You've got yeah. high industry, you know, like you say, with the, the steel mill. You've got urban areas, Pukekohe, uh, you know, going up and towards Karaka. Then you've got across the motorway, you know, all the way down to, to Kaufata, you've got uh, winemaking and all of that happening around there. Uh, you've got amazing wetlands uh, and all the way out almost really to the, to the coast. Mm. Uh, on the other side, it's one of the few electorates that almost goes from coast to coast. 
Yeah. I mean, it's a massive electorate. I mean, I don't think people understand uh, what they're actually looking at here with Port Waikato. Yeah. And and those communities, you know, if you look at back, you know, around regional New Zealand, these small communities, they, you know, this is our town. Like, you know, Te Kau may be, a, but they're they're an identity. They're they're their own town. They don't want mm. to be sort of seen as, you know, just an afterthought. They've they've got a strong identity. Waiuku's amazing town. Like it's it's oh, yeah. really growing and and developing, and Same it just needs that representation. Yeah. And um, so, and I mean, Pocono's where I live, and it's just, it's gone crazy. Like, it's massive. Well, you, you drive down there, and there's all these new houses. You know, yeah. Waioku, I've always uh, had a bit of a soft spot for. Um, my cousin was actually the, the cop in Waioku for many, many years. Yeah. Um, so you probably know him. His name was Greg Melsop. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? too. yeah so, definitely. So, so that's my cousin, you know, and that was back in the days when you actually – Alone in uh, in oh, yeah. you had to deal with things. Uh, let's just say creatively. <laughs> yeah, I, I I remember policing night shift in Puku because the lights used to go off at about yeah. eleven o'clock at night. All the street lights went off, and so it was all darkness. And so night shift down there was a definitely you were you didn't have a lot of backup support down there. So yeah, yeah. I mean it was one of those. Uh, towns where if a certain uh, crime of a certain style might be white wear stolen, you went and knocked on that family's door and said, look, you make, you've you've taken diabolical liberties. Can you just take the freezer back? <laughs> they, they don't, they wouldn't do it these days that way, but no. that was how it was handled back in, back in the day. You know, you went and knocked on the door and you, and you said, look guys, take it back. Um, yep. and, and we're kind of missing I've just been talking to to John Banks, and um, he was telling, you know, me how we need to do a a one eighty return. You know, we have to actually turn this country physically around from where we've come from in the last six years, and in fact, it's probably a bit longer than that. Uh, it's probably over the last twenty or thirty years. We need to actually backtrack and go back to what works, and that's your experience, isn't it? You you've been a a copper, uh, yeah. You, you, you've uh, dealt with all types of society and policing in those areas. And then, of course, you, you've got all your other work that you've done since, you know, Taxpayers Union, Hobson's Pledge, all the rest of it. Yeah, right? and, and I think I think people kind of misconstrue when, when we say about, you know, we need to go, we're not saying you've got to go back in time, but we do have the opportunity to look at the stuff that was working Yes, and take from that what was effective, and just like you said about the community-based policing, and we'd go through centralised and community and centralised and community, but but it's not an either-or solution. But you do have those strong identities that know their community, that understand you know what what the issues are, um, and respond to those vulnerabilities within the community and deal with it. And the centralised policing model, where you know you kind of um, fly in and fly out, you respond to a job and you're gone again. Um, that doesn't fix the problem. And, and we've kind of got to a position now, we have more people um, sitting in offices diagnosing, you know, how we're going to eradicate crime and less people actually out there responding to it. You know, we've got to shift that around and, and make sure that we have the resources. You know, the 24-7 police stations went, you know, those sort of things that, you know, at, at three o'clock in the morning, you know, 
there, there was a building you could go and knock on the doors and someone would be there. Um, and it meant mm. something, you know, and, and, and those are the sort of um, back to basic stuff that it's, it's not a nostalgic thing. It's a let's, let's look at what was working before and does it need to be revisited? Because, um, you know, we can learn a lot from our own history. Yeah, you know, I've got a, a couple of mates down Port Waikato Wave. You go to point, Port Waikato, turn left and carry on to halfway to nowhere. Um, <laughs> there's no policing down there, no. right? If you live on that road, the only policing you've got is what you and your neighbours organise. Yep. And, you know, they tell me about the rustling that goes on, the people who come down, you know, they, they actually don't keep stock near the road anymore. Mm. But they're also the, some of the most generous people around. Like, you know, one of them was telling me about uh, somebody who was cruising the road. They got a phone call on the, you know, on their local community uh, notice board, I guess, from want of a better word. It might have been WhatsApp or something. Hey, watch out for this car. They're cruising slowly. They don't, you know, don't look like they belong here. The farmers come out, block the roads on either end of where they are, and then they have a chat. And uh, yeah. you know, they're saying that. You know, one one family there, they, they looked like they were looking for a sheep. And uh, they said to me, you know, what are you doing here? You, know, you don't look like you're, you're, you know, you're from here. What's going on? They said, oh, look, you know, we you know, really need some meat. And they said, okay, well, come with me. And they went down to the farm chiller and there was a, you know, an, an old ewe that was hanging there that for whatever reason, and they gave it to them. So they're actually really generous as well. It's at mm. the same time as trying to prevent a crime. Like that old bit of meat, sheep meat, was hanging in a chiller. That was might have been to feed the dogs. It might have been to to feed the family. Whatever. It yep. wasn't a valuable animal anymore. It might have died for whatever reason. But and, that crime that's, that's happening there is just so sad as well. You know yeah. that that there are people that are they're not rustling in large numbers, but they're going and grabbing something of opportunity, there's a, a sheep or a lamb or, or even a cattle beast uh, that's at close at hand. But imagine the position that person is in that they feel that they need to go and do that. Yeah, and and that's the differential. That is the those that are doing what, what they desperately need in order to provide for their families and those that are just causing harm and profiting mm. of, of other people's pain. And that's the part where I see that those small communities can really, because I mean, you, all you need to do is go on the you know the marketplace and the the local community pages, and there's constantly you know, is this your cat? I found this wallet. I found the set of keys of the those those are the sort of great things that happen. And I've never seen one so far that someone hasn't gone, oh, that's my cousin's, or yeah, I'll get that, or you know, helping each other out is kind of that that part that we sort of. Missing, and I, and that's why I love this. You know, I love this community. It's it's great. You know, mm. and like you just said, you know, your your cousin. They're, they're all we all know each other. It's, it's just crazy the number of people that have reached out since I've been campaigning. That um, you know, oh yeah, I used to go to you know, oh I was a because um, my dad was into horse racing. So you know, there's there's that whole community that oh, you're John Costello's daughter, like, you know, those mm, sort of things. Mm, it's, it's just mm. great. You know, that's that's what I I think we, that's the country we were built on. Well, I mean, it, it's like your brother coming to to lunch with my mates, right? Yeah. He, <laughs> he, he, he started coming since I spoke to you last, you know, and you raised that. 
Um, he's been coming a couple of times to to lunch, and uh, yeah. he wasn't there. He wasn't there on Monday, but he should be. You know, he should should join in with the rest of Cam's buddies oh, that, he, uh, that come along. He he had to head up north because he's gone up to to my mum lives up north. So yeah. we all have our turn about going checking on mum. You know, I f- I find um, the Port Waikato electorate fascinating because of all the different things that occur within there. Now, I've got a mate uh, and I help him out occasionally, or I did in the past. We had to do a couple of repossessions uh, of some cars that he'd rented out down that way. And, you know, one of them, uh, you know, you come across the Tuakau Bridge there, uh, hang a right, follow the river, uh, and then up in the hills there beside the road, there's some some communities that are really uh, you'd only have to describe them as impoverished, mm. uh, kind of like living under canvas. Yeah, uh, and I don't know, may have been, may have been summer, may have been not, but you know, we had to go and get this car, and uh, you know, I thought I was going to get to bash uh, one time when I was up there. Uh, from this particular family, we got the car, and um, but I felt really bad having to take it off them because it—I mean, it's not that they were short of transport. There was plenty of cars there, but but the cars were the most valuable things they had, mm. and it really uh, shook me that day when we had to go and get that car, and and take that back to Auckland. Um, but they were taking diabolical liberties at the time, but. I was still mindful of the position that they were in. And they're only, you know, 15 minutes from Pukekohe. They're only 40 minutes from Papakura. Yeah. And, and, and living essentially in a, in a, in a shanty. And, yeah. and I never realised that there was people that close to Auckland that were living like that. And it, and it shocked me to my core. And I'll have no doubt that they're still living there. And exactly in that position. And there's lots of situations like that where you 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 kind of get trapped in a position where it's hard to 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 get your way out. And if that's all you know, mm. um, then it's really hard to find your way out. And those are those sort of wraparound services and support that you need. But sometimes this, the, there's individuals that don't even know what's available to them, mm. don't know what what opportunities are there because you know navigating you know, a government website to try and find what you're entitled to is almost, you know, you, you, it's like, you know, a Rhodes Scholar well, needs to, to find the right answers. I mean, the yeah. reality is, is these people don't have computers. Yeah. They, if they are navigating a government website, it's on a phone. But but even then, down that road, on the way to Port Waikato, there's not much coverage, mm. right? So, yeah. so they're impoverished physically, probably mentally as well. Uh, Definitely financially and also technologically wise, and I, and I don't know how to fix that. Other than I, when you know, this is not far from the largest city in Auckland. Like literally, yeah. it's less than two kilometres to the border of Auckland, which runs right down the middle of Port Waikato Electorate, and there's, there's and, two and this, societies that are existing that close to each other. And this is where I think that. The empowerment of local community, you know, you know that the the stuff that local communities are able to achieve, and we see that whenever there's you know these big storms or there's a disaster, these communities wrap around and and help each other yeah. out without wavering, and it's that stuff is that 
and that's why I think it's a great community and great area because you have the opportunity to do that and to, to get people to come together and work on the successes. But it's just kind of having someone that, that you know, is going to, you know, set things in motion. You know, how, how can we do this? What are your issues? How can we make this? Um, and getting people. And I think that's what, what I like, you know, that that's all the way through my working career. It's the success of the team. It's being able to build people um, that, you know, work to their strengths, identify who's the good people and how, how you can get the most out of what they're able to do and bring those teams together and make them successful. And and that's kind of what I, I see as as a electorate MP position is to kind of identify those people that have um, the willingness and capacity to kind of step up and be involved and how can I facilitate them to be successful in their communities and what could be done. And, and you know, I, I, I really look forward to the challenge. I really want to, you know, mm. be part of that kind of thing. You know, the, the old, you know, going back nostalgically, you know, when you, your, your local borough council mayor used to be the guy that ran the butcher shop, you know, yeah. you'd, you'd walk in there and go like, you know, I'll, I'll have, um, you know, 12 sausages and by the way, the stormwater drains backed up, you know, like it was that sort of that sort of environment, you know. And I, I think that's where you can get some real success from your communities is having that kind of, um, you know, somebody who's available and contactable. And and how does that work for for those um, well, separate isolated was, locations? Yeah, and likely it was fixed by him ringing um, Bob the. Uh, the guy yeah. on the road who, who <laughs> happens to have a digger um, handy, can you get whip round there and clean that drain yeah. out for me, mate? Um, you know, we'll make sure the next sausage sizzle we get everything from you. You know, that's how yep. things worked. Yeah. You know, the super city, everyone said, uh, you know, this is how we're going to improve things. But on the margins, things haven't really improved, have yeah. they? I mean, we've we've got, like we discussed earlier, the Afito Peninsula Road that that's still yeah. got stop go lights on it. Here we are, months and months and months after the actual event. We're likely to have some significant weather events with the way things are, are panning out again, and nothing's fixed. Yeah, and and that's the you know the the aspect of the super city was that you know there was to be a review of whether it delivered what it promised and, and whether it created the savings and efficiencies that it promised, that review's never taken place. That's never happened. You know, it's just they trucked on carrying on as if, um, you know, we're just going to assume it's been successful. And yet if you talk to the people in in my electorate, they, that, that's it hasn't been successful. And there's numerous reasons why it hasn't been successful. So, you know, somebody needs to stand up and go, hang on, like we want some answers here. How much yeah. is it saved? Nothing. And how much is it delivered and benefits? Less nothing. Than nothing. So yeah. So so somebody needs to call time. Well, somebody needs to stand up for the Port Waikato community. And I guess you're sitting across multiple city or, or council uh, boundaries, but the vast number of, of your constituents are in Auckland City. Uh, mm. do you see it your role as the local MP to actually go and sit down with Wayne Brown? And other key councillors uh, up there, and and you know that are close to where you are as well, and say, okay, guys, things aren't working. Yeah. How can we make these work? Yeah. And and what are their rub points? And and you know what? Where's our common ground? Where's our rub points? And let's kind of work through mm. because this is what the constituents are saying. How are we going to fix this? Um, and you know, and and empower 
individuals to be able to take some action as well as you know hold hold their feet to the fire because um, you know, that and I, I absolutely do because I mean it's, it is the the majority of the population sits within Auckland Council but we also have that crossover with the Waikato region we have a number of smaller iwis that are kind of silenced because there's much bigger um, um, and you know bigger entities in play and so it's about how do we make sure that the the balance is being achieved from the smaller communities as well just talking about community this is a david and goliath battle that you're in you're up against the national party and the machine that the national party has where they can you know not it's not very far for them to to drive people in from you know papakura electorate which is one of the largest majorities you know with judith collins competent MP there and a huge machine that, that keeps her operating. Uh, you know, a little bit further north, you've got the resources and uh, the influence of uh, councillors that, that are in there. And also the, the National Party machine, you know, in, as a whole, New Zealand First is under-resourced, uh, ill-equipped really, uh, to, to have this David and Goliath battle. But you've got yeah. this experience, you know, with community uh, involvement. How can how can people help you? How can they get in touch with you to to volunteer to help on the ground with this campaign in the few short weeks that we've got left? Well, the easiest way is um, just kc at nzfirst.nz. Um, that that's our um, volunteer network. So all all of those sort of things. Um, you know, and and just reach out if if you're able to to do something. I've I've got you know great team, but likewise, you know we've had a you know we've got a teams coming in from all around the country to to help this campaign as well. Yeah. Um. And I think the strong message is that you know they don't lose their MP, they don't lose Andrew Bailey, but they yep. might get a, a a bit more um from having a a, a different voice and a different um um sort of opportunity to be heard um, yeah. that they haven't had before. So, yeah, so it's, it, and it, it's David and Goliath, but, you know, we're, we're up for the fight and, you know, everybody wrote off New Zealand first in this election and, and we proved them wrong. So um, I think we can do it again. Yeah, and, and I guess the pitch is, is that you can actually power up uh, by yeah. voting. For voting for you for the local MP means that you get another MP coming in off the list uh, with skills and ability and, and stiffens the resolve of the government, uh, yeah. gives them that experience uh, that's added. Uh, whereas voting for Andrew Bailey, um, you don't lose him as an MP, but there's no gain either um, by yeah. electing him as the, as the electorate MP because it's all, always already resolved. So, yeah. I mean, that's an interesting pitch. Um, it'll be hard to, to get... The, the Blue Rinse Brigade to actually think outside the box, but I guess you've got an, an option to to do that. When I say Blue Rinse, yeah. I mean, you know, you uh, always vote national. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's very rare that by-elections come along and you can actually challenge their thinking a little bit. Yeah, and it's unusual because we're both already there, like we're both list MPs, so, so yeah. you kind of often you'll have one that's, you know, that – the, the sitting MP and then someone fighting to get in. Um, we're both there. So, you know, he, here's a chance to to change um, the status quo. So, yeah, we'll give it a crack. 
I know you can't disclose anything about you know what you know about negotiations and things like that, but what are some of the areas uh, now that we know broadly what the makeup of the government is going to be? What are some of the areas that you'd be hoping that New Zealand First can make an impact in in government, uh, participating in government rather than perhaps sitting on the crossbenches like has been suggested? I think that, I mean, it was pretty clear from our manifesto. There's a lot of common ground, I think, if you look at, at where we're all sitting. But our manifesto was you know, pretty clear around, you know, our desire to have our democracy protected and ensure that there is this equality before the law um, and that individual freedoms around, you know, having a more in-depth um, COVID inquiry um and so, so amongst all those, there's some really common ground um, and just getting the country moving, you know, getting things, yeah. um, the economy moving and stuff, some real practical steps towards that. So, yeah, it's um, well well above my pay grade at this point, but yeah, <laughs> those are my wish lists. Yeah. I mean, the, the COVID inquiry, people have said it's too difficult. We've already got an inquiry happening. Last week I was speaking to David Farron. He thought that was actually in one of the easiest ones to solve uh, mm. simply by redrafting the terms of reference and maybe adding a couple of extra commissioners into the com- into the commission yeah. of inquiry. And I would have thought yeah. that that would be an easy one to, to tick off uh, for Winston sitting down with Christopher Luxon. And, and there should be no reason why David Seymour would oppose that either. Um, because the terms of reference that Ardern set were incredibly narrow, and yeah, it, it lo- almost looked self-serving uh, from the way that the terms of references were created. And and I think if you looked at, I mean, Acts on their website's got some policy positions recognising that there there needed to be a broadening of the scope and stuff. So I don't I don't think there's um, a huge shift, um, and. And, you know, I think that that exists amongst that's, I mean, all of us have gone into this discussion and, and that, you know, said repeatedly, this is about achieving a stable government. And, mm. I, I, you know, I think it's very achievable. And I mean, that's um, the thing, isn't it, that a lot of people mistake uh, decision making as being Winston making all the decisions when the reality is, is Winston's actually a team player and it's in the hands of the caucus to make decisions on where things are going and what you're going to achieve. And, and I, I, I think that's true. You know, that, that came out really clearly after, you know, the, everybody was criticising 2017 and, and what mm. occurred. Um, it was a democratic process then, um, you know, that this is, this is not, you know, um, it's it's a cooperative process, and I think you know it's uh, it's going to be interesting what pans out over the next few days. But I I, I think it's um it's, it's all indications of things going really well. The the media are trying to talk this up as being something that's going to drag on for weeks and weeks and weeks. What's your view on that? Do you think it's going to last weeks or is it more days? I, yeah, because it's, it's I'm not in, involved in the intricacies of it, but I I I see no. Nothing. Why the media is saying that? I think it's just a scaremongering dialogue. I, I can't see that they've got any justification to be talking about this dragged out process. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it's just the fact that uh, everyone is practicing message discipline uh, and actually not talking to the media, so they're having to fill the gap 
yeah. by not having politicians with their own reckons. And you know, as we've seen from you know even election night, where Tover O'Brien was saying that you know even if you stood on the grave of a family member and uh, and uh, really thought hard, no one would ever have picked a result like this. You know, everyone <laughs> in New Zealand first is probably thinking, well, we picked it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> everyone in ACT is probably thinking, well, we picked it. And everyone in National is thinking, well, we picked it. This is going to yep. happen. It's only the people in the bubble uh, and, you know, the Wellington bureaucrats who didn't pick it. Um, yep. But it was obvious, really, that there was a, a mood for change. And, you know, 53% of the pop voting population didn't vote for Labour, the Greens or, or the Maori Party. And that's and, a majority. And the- and the result was almost, you know, in, in completely in line with the polling. I think the the only thing that was national actually got more than the polling was saying, but it was it was all pretty in, in line with the polls. So it was, um, you know, we were we were tracking, you know, forward each time each poll that came out. So yeah, and that's kind of where we finished up. So yeah, once you get over that five percent, it kind of cements in, and you can mm. get you can get some gains. The thing that you know astonished me about the election is that this literally you know, was the worst government that we've ever had in living memory. In fact, since the beginning of democracy in New Zealand, if you listen to Michael Bassett, and, and he's a political historian and there's no reason not to listen to Michael Bassett, uh, he said it's the worst government ever. But National couldn't get over uh, 40%. In fact, mm. I, just, I was doing, analysing some numbers before you know, talking to you, uh, because somebody commented on my website that uh, Christopher Luxon has a mandate. And uh, I thought, I thought, really, a mandate? Okay, 38%, 38.06%. And I looked up 2017 and what the National uh, Labour Party got in 2017 when the National Party people were saying uh, Ardern doesn't have a mandate to govern, she doesn't have this, she doesn't have that. Well, it's less than 2% different. Mm. Right, it's less than two percent. It's it's one point six percent or something. D- the difference between difference. Labor in yeah. twenty seventeen and National in twenty twenty three. And so, if the National Party thinks that Christopher Luxon has a mandate, then surely Justin Ardern had a mandate in twenty seventeen, but they won't admit that. <laughs> yeah, actually, <laughs> I hadn't looked at those stats. That's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I mean, these are little tiny things that political tragics like me. Look at, <laughs> right, because we sit there and go, well, hang on a second. Let's deal with facts and let's deal with reality. And, you know, that then goes to all the minor parties as well. The yeah. polls were saying that only New Zealand First Act and uh, in, in the Maori Party and the Green Party as minor parties were going to make it into parliament. And we had all of these smaller parties saying, no, 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 the p- polls are wrong. People aren't yeah. aren't answering honestly, and we're going to get you know one case. One leader said they were going to get two million votes, which mean pretty much that would be over fifty percent of of the vote. Uh, yeah, and the polls were right. You said the polls were right. I know the polls were right. I've been studying elections since I was in nappies. You really ignore polls at your peril, don't you? Yeah, and and it's I mean you can I mean there was some nuances around you know elect seats and who was going to win but that's where I think people misunderstand how MMP works still mm. that you kind of think oh well how does that impact um, but we also when you, you can't go back to how everything broke down in the end I mean I had a lot of sympathy for 
you know, the, the minor parties who arose out of a need to, you know, feeling that they weren't being heard mm. and, and wanting to have their opportunity to be heard. But we also had the the experience that, you know, we 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 tracked according to the polls. We we delivered what, you know, the polling was saying. It was sort of a, a, a good benchmark. But I think people forgot that I th- I think there was a real sense that we didn't want to have that situation of a majority government again. I think we'd been stung by having a single party majority government and everybody Mm. was kind of determined that we weren't going to end up in that situation. And I wonder how much that impacted how people voted versus voting for the major parties and shifting away. I I don't know whether that was a a telling component. But that's an interesting interesting component because I hadn't thought about it like that. You know that we've yeah. been so shocked by what a majority government did that yeah. we that we don't actually want that ever again, and so we've powered up the ACT Party in New Zealand First to act yeah. as a bulwark or a handbrake or whatever is necessary to stop a large party doing whatever the hell they want. Yeah, that that was my sense anyway. There was that idea that because we sort of talked about like it's clearly now MPs here to stay. We've we've cemented it. It's not, and we had a taste of what it was like to go back to a you know effectively a first past the post kind of government. And we sort of went, oh no, we're not having that again. We'll stick we'll stick this way. Yeah, well, we don't want to. I mean, we did reject uh, first past the post. Uh, it may have been a mistake, but it it. it as uh, some a friend of mine always says, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. But it, but it's interesting the things that persist because you know I had a discussion the other day with my mates around uh, the lunch table, and um, they were talking about oh well you know the impact of selecting a speaker and how that means you get one less vote, and uh, you know I had to say to them look guys for twenty seven years that hasn't been the case. And they went what? I said, no, <laughs> under MMP, the standing rules in Parliament were changed, that the, the Speaker actually gets included in the votes that the whip says. We don't no longer have these division bells where people march out through the corridors. And it doesn't happen anymore, right? They call mm. for a vote. The party whips declare their number, and if they're the governing party or the party that includes the Speaker, their vote is included in the number that's that's given. Yeah. Uh, so, and they were they were shocked. They were gobsmacked. Yeah. <laughs> I said to them, Matt, "This has been the way it has been for twenty seven years. Uh, mm. By the time we get to the end of this cycle, it'll be the way it's been for thirty years." Yeah. And, and we also saw this with this unbelievable misunderstanding of how voting for a minor party that doesn't make the threshold. Yeah is a wasted vote and how not the votes get reallocated, but the effect of the votes gets reallocated. Yeah. And, you know, somebody yeah. uh, just you know, on my website this morning was saying exactly that. They were saying, oh, no, I've talked to the Electoral Commission. They've said that the votes are, are thrown out. Well, well it's, it's, it's the votes <laughs> are, but the effect is It's the percentage. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's the percentage. And, you know, if that was the case, there would be nearly 6% of the seats in Parliament would now be vacant, mm. right? But they're not. They're, we've got all of the seats allocated. We've got 100% or 100% plus one of the seats. We've got an overhang, so it's actually 100% plus three uh, yeah. are allocated. And the easiest way to, to understand that is let's say 
Labor and National both got 45% and there was 10% wasted, right? So 90% was uh, counted and 10% was wasted. If the what the electoral commission says is hundred percent true that the votes are thrown out and then and the percentage that was wasted isn't counted, then there'd only be ninety percent of the hundred and twenty seats filled. Yeah. Yep. Right. But that's not yep. the case. Right. A hundred percent of the hundred and twenty seats are filled, and therefore the effect of the wasted vote is it does get reallocated. Yeah. yeah. And, and the, and but, the fact that, like you say, thirty years on, nearly we're still explaining that process and how it all works and how and and even down to the overhang you know discussion people still trying to get their heads around how an overhang works and how that kind of impacts and and then you get you know think you've got all that sorted and then you have the Port Waikato situation where we've got a whole nother another situation well, arising so well just on that overhang I mean you know I heard John Tamahiri the other day saying that uh because they won six of the seven Maori electorates that they have the mandate to speak for all Maori. Mm. Well, hang on a second. The Maori Party got two point something percent. Yeah. Right. So Maori make up uh, close to seventeen percent of the population, but the Maori Party only got close to three percent. That's hardly yeah. a mandate. <laughs> yeah, no, I think the numbers they got about. Yeah, I mean, and even if you proportioned it to the number of Māori that you know on the Māori roll, they're, they're mm. not even a majority of that. So you know that that kind of, and that's what I keep coming back to this idea that you know, this idea that Māori, being Māori, we we kind of um, forego our individual identity, and we're apparently supposed to think and vote and act as if we're a Borg from um, you know Star Trek. Star Trek. You know, it was just just that that, that we are. You know, we all think and act the same, and all you have to do is look at the Māori role votes in terms of how it distributes across the parties, and know that you know Māori vote just like everyone else, and based upon what's the best representation based for on need. our our needs, and um, yeah. and that's why nearly half of Māori aren't on the Māori role. You know, it was because well, that, that's right. Uh, you know, and you look at the top three places in New Zealand. First, you've got Winston Peters, Shane Jones. Casey Costello, three Maori who don't subscribe to that view of John Tamahiri that the Maori Party now is the official voice of Maori in New yeah. Zealand. Uh, and the reality is, is the Maori Party represents a hard left uh, view on the world, uh, a rather heroic assumption uh, and rewrite of the Treaty of Waitangi at the expense of every other New Zealander. And they really don't have a mandate. If they actually, if those Maori seats disappeared and they tried to stand on the, on their platform, they'd end up with zero seats. Mm. So it's a, it's a, I call it a Maori manda, which is a little bit facetious. Uh, but but there's no other way to describe those seven seats other than uh, a, a gerrymandering of the system that we no longer need. Thirty four percent of Parliament is Maori. Right. And and the fact that there is this, um, you know, lack, I mean, if you consider Māori, we're iwi and hapu-centric, the best representation is more confined local representation, not massive geographical areas that are allocated to Māori seats. Mm. And if you had better local representation, you would get better outcomes for those communities, including the Māori in those communities. But the, this structure doesn't serve, and it hasn't served the best interests of Māori for some time. 
And all you have to do is go through the what has been delivered, what is the outcomes, what is the benefits that, that have been delivered. And aside from a lot of, you know, differentiation by race and, and um, you know, um, advocating a victim narrative, there's been not delivery of outcomes. And that was where you need the accountability um, to say, well, what have you done? What have you delivered? Mm. And, you know, the, the quote of the, the, that really struck me was when, um, you know, the the Māori Party referenced the fact that they their role will be to the, be the pebble in your shoe, you know. Well, that's so, so they're, <laughs> yes, so so their objective, their their political objective is to be annoying. How is that benefiting Māori? You know, to be to be annoying is not a political objective. Um, and and I think Māori, we deserve a lot more than you know someone that's going to make their political stand to be just a nuisance. I mean, that's just appalling. I mean, I look at some of those electorates that you talk about, Ikaroa Rafati, for example. What commonality is there between Ngāti Perot in the north and and Ngāti Kahanunu in the south? Mm. There's almost none. Yeah. Uh, you know, we look at look at Wairiki uh, electorate as well. You've got two Faritoa around Lake Taupo. Uh, you've got two hoi in the middle of the Urawaras and multiple other iwi uh, out on the coast in the Bay of Plenty. There's no commonality there other than the word Maori. And so you've got one person who's representing them, and there's this arrogant assumption that they represent all of Maori because, well, we won six out of the seven Maori seats. It's divisive. And, and that, yeah, and that's the part that if that that skill and capability of those politicians that have put their names forward, if they were dedicated to their local area and being able to represent the local iwi in a much you know more compliant, and that's what the Royal Commission in the 80s said, was that MMP would remove the relevance of those seats because you would have increased better local representation that was able to, you know, and, and would encourage greater Māori representation because you're engaged in your local community. Um, and and they fight against it, but I don't think they're fighting against it because you know it's it's going to reduce outcomes for Māori. It's it's about you know um, you know re- retaining a political relevance, not retaining what's best for Māori. And I think that's what we need to have those discussions about. Well, I mean that's what Winston uh, Peters said at the launch of your campaign for the by-election. He wants to remove the Māori seats to howls of outrage, of course. Uh, but that's been a long-standing position in New Zealand first, and they've never been in a position to be able to do that. And ironically, it's also the used to be the position of the National Party until John Key decided he really wanted to have the Maori Party involved, and so abandoned what was an electoral promise that was started by Don Brash. Yeah, and and that's the part is about you know what. Again, this I you know, harp on about what's what's the best outcomes. What will produce the best outcomes? What will produce the best accountability? What will what will actually advance us and our issues? And we've just been all this time talking about the importance of local representation and strengthening local communities. Yeah. Um, imagine what we could do with that. You know, imagine if you had, you know, um, representation that was restricted to to Faritoa or, or wherever you wanted to be. You know that this was you know this was the strong local voice. And we're going to work together to ensure this community is well represented. 
um, and that smaller iwi don't lose their voice because they, they their representation is by someone who's probably lives, you know, hundreds of kilometres from where they're based. Yeah. I guess we need to wrap up a bit. You've got a campaign you've got to get back to. And yeah. <laughs> got to get back up. I've, I've got a flight out this afternoon. So got a flight out this afternoon, yep. <laughs> So uh, let's just reiterate how people who want to help you, want to help New Zealand first win the Port Waikato by-election, how can they contact you? And uh, the easiest way to do that is by emailing? Yeah, casey at nzfirst.nz. Early voting starts the 13th of November. Last voting day is 25th of November. Remember, there is a by-election. So, you know, I keep getting calls about, uh, did you know your election signs are still up? Um, nope, they're up again, but you know, I think that's a, um, one of the methods. But yeah, Casey at nzfirst.nz and um, yeah, let me know and vote for me. Well, Casey, you're already in parliament, but uh, you know, the opportunity to win the Port Waikato by election means that New Zealand First get an extra candidate as well, another competent person that can assist, particularly around finance and commerce and those sorts of things. Yeah, and uh, let's hope that uh, you do, do win that, David and Goliath battle and uh, you've got the courage to come and talk on reality check radio i can't say the same for andrew bailey unfortunately (laughs) no i really appreciate your time cam no most welcome casey thank you very much for coming on the crunch casey is great isn't she so capable and now an mp on a mission as you heard there's a real drive to bring some accountability to the covid royal commission of inquiry and that's exactly why people backed new zealand first Don't forget to send comments on Casey's interview to inbox at realitycheck.radio or text to 2057. This is The Crunch with Cam Slater. Conversations with a side of controversy right here on RCR.